This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to African News Tonight. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpoga, and here is what's coming up. The camera was only meant to host between 10 and 12,000 people, but now it is, it is hosting 56,000 refugees and asylum seekers. It is fivefold increase. That's Kenya Emmanuel, the UN Refugee Agency's reporting officer in Malawi, on the country's plan to force about 8,000 refugees back to the overcrowded uh, Zaleka refugee camp. Also, a siege by militants at a hotel near the presidential palace in Mogadishu is over with eight civilians killed. Former Comoros President Ahmed Abdallah Sambi has been convicted of treason. And Ghana beat South Korea and Cameroon tied Serbia at the World Cup. All this and more coming up right here on African News Tonight. The UN Refugee Agency says it deeply regrets Malawi's decision to force about 8,000 refugees living in rural and urban areas back to the overcrowded Zaleka refugee camp. Malawi's Minister of Homeland Security last week said the forced relocations would start after November 30th when a deadline expires on voluntary returns. Lameka Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. The UNS Refugee Agency, UNHCR, is asking the Malawi government to reconsider its decision to force the refugees and asylum seekers living in villages, towns and cities back into the overcrowded Zaleka camp. In a statement released Saturday, UNHCR says relocating self-sufficient and productive people into the camp would not only lead to loss of livelihoods, but also compel them to rely on dwindling humanitarian aid. UNHCR says as of October 31, it had received less than a fourth of funds needed this year in Malawi to support the camp's refugees and asylum seekers. The agency's reporting officer in Malawi, Kenny Emmanuel, says adding the estimated 8,000 refugees living outside the camp would bring more misery. The camp itself is extremely overcrowded. The camp was only meant to host between 10 and 12,000 people, but now it is it is hosting 56,000 refugees and asylum seekers. It is fivefold increase. Zarega is home to refugees and asylum seekers from Burundi, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Rwanda, and Somalia. In August, Malawi's government said November 30 as a deadline for those living in rural areas outside the camp to return, and February 1 for those living in cities. The decision came after a high court in Blanta dismissed the refugees' appeal against the government's decision last year to return them to the camp. Malawi's Minister of Homeland Security, Jean Sendezam, at a revised press conference Thursday, said the returns were in line with the rules against refugees working or living outside the camp. As we continue with the relocation exercise, I request for patience from all stakeholders as this is an ongoing process. In the same vein, I appeal to the general public to refrain from getting involved in issues of refugees, especially on the relocation exercise. Let those that are assigned to do the work do so without any form of interference. Limited aid at the Zaleka camp 
led to refugees holding sporadic protests in November, some of which turned violent. Refugees seized a World Food Program vehicle on November 2 after some refugees were removed from a list for receiving food rations. On November 22, a group of refugees broke windows on vehicles belonging to Plan International Malawi employees and looted a warehouse after being told they would not receive temporary shelters. Police fired tear gas to disperse the protest. Bukuru Habona is a refugee from Burundi who left the camp in 2008 to live and work in Malawi's capital, Lilongwe. He says moving back to the camp with his three children would ruin their chance for better education. Definitely, they will just stay home. And they will, they will not stay home, they will stay in the bush because we have got no house and we have got no food. So we just stay in somewhere bush. Because nowadays staying at someone's house, my brother, I tell you, it's a very big problem. You can even have a friend, but you cannot stay there a week. Malawi's government says it has budgeted 300,000 US dollars for tents for the retained refugees and their transport to the camp which is expected to start this week. Homeland Security Minister Sindeza says UNHCR also pledged $58 million US dollars to reconstruct the abandoned Luwani refugee camp to help decongest Zalega. Luwani camp housed more than 300,000 Mozambican refugees freeing the 1977 to 1992 civil war. It was closed in 2007, then reopened in 2016 to house about 12,000 Mozambicans freeing fresh conflict at home. When peace allowed Mozambicans to return home, Rwanda closed again in 2019. UNHCR confirmed plans to restore the camp, but say they are facing challenges, sourcing the needed funding. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Nigerian election authorities say one of their offices was set on fire yesterday in southeastern Mbonyi State. The Independent National Electoral Commission says the blaze began after 10 a.m. when unidentified individuals entered the building in the easy area of the state. The French news agency AFP says the fire destroyed 340 ballot boxes, 130 voting cubicles, 14 electric power generators, and quantities of permanent voters' cards. The news service says the attack follows similar violence in southwestern Ogun and Osun states on November 10th. Authorities say it's the 50th attack in the last 60 days with elections for presidential, parliamentary, and state elections to be held in February. Somali police say the country's security forces ended a more than 20-hour Al-Shabaab siege on a popular hotel in the capital Mogadishu. Police say they killed five militants, while eight civilians were killed during the attack. Muhammad Daisani reports from Mogadishu. In a press conference in Mogadishu on Monday evening, Somali Federal Police spokesman Sadiq Adhan Ali Dodishe said security forces have ended the Villa Reyes Hotel siege in the capital, the hotel that is located near the country's heavily fortified presidential palace, was attacked by Al-Shabaab fighters who initiated the assault with a suicide bombing. The police spokesman said security forces killed five of the six attackers, while one of them 
blew himself up. He says the Khawarij killed eight civilians who were at the hotel and the security forces have rescued 60 civilians and there were no injuries among the civilians. Khawarij, or a deviant sect, is a term the government uses to refer to Al-Shabaab. The police spokesman added that during the operation inside the hotel, one soldier was killed and five others wounded. The Villa Reyes Hotel was frequented by Somali government senior officials, including ministers, lawmakers, and other security officials. Experts who spoke to VOA over the phone said they believe the attack can be seen as retaliation by the group after it lost significant ground in the Somali government's recent offensives against the Islamist militants in the country's central provinces. It is the second deadly siege in Somali capital in less than three months. In late August, the militant group had stormed the busy Hayat Hotel. Security forces ended that siege after nearly 30 hours of operations. The attack killed more than 20 people. The group intensified its attacks since Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud was elected in May this year. The President announced a total war against the militants. Mohamed Daisane for VOA News, Mogadishu. A court in Comoros, the island nation of Mozambique, has found former President Ahmed Abdallah Sambi guilty of treason for selling passports to people from the Middle East. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. A state security court in Comoros gave a life sentence to former President Ahmed Abdallah Sambi. Sambi is charged with treason and the court said it found him guilty of selling Comorian passports to people in Gulf countries. The 64-year-old was not present in the court. He boycotted the hearing last week, claiming he will not get a fair trial. John Ferryman is a lawyer representing Sambi. He termed the trial and the ruling illegal. The case should have been stopped. If the case went on, at least it should have been brought before a regularly court established according to the law, which was not the case. If it was brought before a regular court established according to the law, then it's obvious for me that President Sambi should be, have been acquitted because there is actually not even a piece of evidence. Sambi has spent four years in jail for corruption. The prosecution said the former president embezzled millions of dollars for the sale of passports to foreigners. Fairmont says they will take the case to the International Forum to seek justice for Sambi. We'll have to take this to the international scene. There's no other choice than to take this out of the commerce and try to get on the international scene uh, attention for this case uh, with the UN bodies in Geneva, with the French justice system to which we will submit the question of this uh, attempt to actually buy a false witness statement because formally there is no possibility to appeal the decision under uh, Comorian law. There's no other choice than to uh, go beyond the commerce to uh, continue the struggle for justice for uh, President Sambi. One of the defendants, Bashar Kiwan, a French-Syrian businessman, accused the current Comorian government led by President Azali Osomani of pressuring him to testify against Sambi in exchange for a pardon. The presidency denies the claim. 
Sambi, after leaving power, was placed under house arrest for disturbing public order. He ruled the Indian Ocean nation from 2006 to 2011. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA, radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Rescue workers in Cameroon's capital, Yaounde, are searching for people believed trapped under a landslide that killed at least 14 people and injured scores more on Sunday. The victims were attending a funeral when the landslide occurred. Moki Edwin Kinzikam reports from Yaounde, Cameroon. Civilians mourn as they join rescue workers in digging and searching for people they fear are trapped underneath a huge pile of debris. The soil and stones collapsed Sunday evening on several hundred community members from Cameroon's west region who had gathered for a funeral of people who died within the past month. 50-year-old Rosette Ngefak is among the mourners. She says she saw the ground collapse on scores of people, including her two sons. Il a fendu la tête et cassé la main. On était à l'hôpital général. On a fait le scanner. Gefak says she is still searching for her 24-year-old son, who was buried by the landslide alongside his motorcycle. She says she left the Yaounde Central Hospital at 2 a.m. after hospital staff reassured her that her 21-year-old son, also a victim of the landslide, is responding to treatment. It is a tradition in Cameroon for communities to organize funeral events in towns after burial of their community members in villages. People who attended the funeral prior to the landslide said they had prayed for the departed and were sharing drinks and food when the unfortunate incident occurred. Nasseri Paul Beya, governor of Cameroon's central region where Yaounde is located, visited the disaster site for the second time within 15 hours on Monday morning. He says that investigations carried out by Cameroonian police indicate that some civilians are still trapped in the landslide. Bea says he asked the government for more troops to assist rescue workers who, for the past 14 hours, have been searching for people. He says bodies removed from the disaster site are identified by the police and taken to the mortuary of the central hospital in Yaounde and then eventually to their family members. Cameroon's government says the landslide occurred when an 18-meter-high embankment collapsed on several hundred civilians attending a funeral in a house constructed in a risky area. Bayer said the embankment that gave way was not solid enough to stop the soil from collapsing. Cameroon's housing ministry Monday asked people living in areas deemed at risk of landslides 
to immediately leave or be forced to relocate. Yaoundé, a city of about 3 million people, has had devastating floods caused by heavy rains within the past three months. The government says more than 25 houses constructed in risky areas have collapsed, injuring and killing scores of people. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Kenya is hosting a third round of talks aimed at bringing peace to the volatile eastern provinces of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. The East African Community Regional Bloc has convened a meeting in Nairobi to discuss how to solve the political, security and social problems that have plagued the eastern DRC for decades. This week's talks are essentially an inter-Congolese dialogue involving local community leaders, civil society organizations and some of the armed groups active in eastern Congo. The ESC says Congo needs to implement political and institutional reforms that will make it conducive to defeat and disarm the armed groups. Former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, who is also the bloc's peace envoy in the DRC, says the Congolese people need to own the process and address the real insecurity problems in Ituri, North and South Kivu, and two other provinces. To also deepen the consultation of communities and armed groups from the concerned areas for the greater inclusivity and greater ownership of the process, including for the first time, with representatives from Mariena and Tanganyika and the identification of root causes of conflicts in the five provinces. And finally, to evaluate the concrete modalities for the restoration of state authority in each province. The Eastern DRC is engulfing violence in part because of armed groups competing over the area's rich mines. Neighboring countries' troops have crossed into Congo, chasing rebel groups that they accuse of trying to destabilize their countries. Most recently, the Congolese army has been fighting with the rebel group M23, which it accuses of receiving military support from Rwanda, an accusation denied by Kigali. The M23 agreed to a ceasefire last week during talks in Angola, but said they will not withdraw from territories captured from the Congolese army. The rebel group has blamed the army and some rebel groups for attacking their families and uprooting them from their homes. Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, who joined the conference online, said Congo's problem can be solved, but all communities must be involved in the peace process. The internal groups of Congo come from the weakening of the state authority in that area for a prolonged period. But even this problem can be solved by combining the political method, i.e. dialogue, with the military method, the peaceful solution should be the outcome of that dialogue. But the victim communities and the refugees should also be consulted. Kenyan President William Ruto says the region must work towards peace and respect international laws. We are here to emphasize the urgent need for dialogue, de-escalation, and to encourage and facilitate every actor to intensify their pursuit through the effective engagement of regional and international dispute resolution mechanisms. 
we are also encouraged we also encourage regional states to maintain their commitment to existing regional bilateral as well as multilateral understandings. Congo said it will hold presidential and parliamentary votes by December 2023, and the Electoral Commission said it will stick to the deadlines despite the threats of armed groups. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. And at the World Cup, uh, Senegal play their last group game against Ecuador tomorrow Tuesday. On Monday, there were impressive performances by Ghana, who beat South Korea 3-2, and Cameroon, who pulled off a 3-0 draw against Serbia. My colleague Sunny Young of the Sunny Side of Sports has been following all the action and joins me now for an evaluation of the performance of African's team so far. Hi, Sunny. 40 World Cup greetings, Douglas. Yes, Asani, quite entertaining matches today, but qualification to knockout stage not yet assured. Yeah, I thought they were very entertaining matches, both Ghana and Cameroon. A total of 11 goals scored in the two matches. Uh, I'll give you my uh, players of the match, Douglas. Uh, the Ghana match, I'm going to give man of the match to Mohamed Kudus. Uh, I'll say kudos for Kudus. He scored two goals for Ghana. Uh, both, both. Uh, I got to also give another shout out for uh, Jordan Ayew. He was he set up uh, a couple of Ghana's goals, and he, he he looked really good out there. Just an exciting match. I mean, uh, Ghana was up two uh, nil at halftime. South Korea came back uh, on two goals by Cho, uh, including a beautiful header. And then uh, Ghana uh, got the got the winner from Kudus mm-hmm. in the uh, 68th minute. Held on through some tense stoppage time where the South Koreans threatened. Uh, so final Ghana three, South Korea two. Uh, in the Cameroon match, Douglas, I'm going to give man of the match to Vincent Abubakar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he actually came off the bench for Cameroon in the second half. Uh, he set up one goal, scored the other, the equal. Uh, and, yeah, he was really instrumental for Cameroon. But looking at the groups, Douglas, I would have to say Ghana is in a much better position to advance uh, to the knockout round than Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon in a tough group uh, along with Switzerland and Brazil. And let's give a shout-out for the Brazilians, Douglas. Uh, Brazil... Uh, is through, officially through the round of 16, playing without their injured superstar, Neymar. Uh, they beat uh, Switzerland 1-0 on a goal by Casemiro. Casemiro in the 84th minute. That's so right. those, are, those are the results we have so far. Ghana 3, South Korea 2, Brazil 1, Switzerland 0, and Cameroon and Serbia 3-all. But Overall, Douglas, I think the African teams have really picked it up in the past couple of days. Oh, yes, I think they have. And talking of Ghana especially, their last group game is against Uruguay. And uh, Sunday, you at, the, at, the, at the other World Cup, you know, these two teams have a history. So Ghanaians might, might be a bit anxious, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it, Douglas. <laughs> a bit anxious, especially with uh, Luis Suarez. Still playing for Uruguay, uh, you know, so he, he could very well, I, I think he will see action 
when they play in their final group match. He, he of course, had that infamous handball against Ghana uh, 12 years ago that basically crushed the World Cup hopes of the yes, Black Stars. Yes. But, you uh, know, I, I also have to give credit, Douglas, to the – this is a very young Ghanaian team, true, on true. the youngest mm. at the World Cup. They're playing with a lot of poise right now. Exactly. So we shall keep watching them, and then let's see what happens. Thanks, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Douglas. Thank you. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent, 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America.